All right. Well, hopefully you made your way to the book of Judges. So it's just one book past uh, where we were last week in Joshua. So in the beginning, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So the seventh book of the Bible. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. So let's go before the Lord once more and we'll look into chapter one. Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and ask that you would just continue to move through our midst by your spirit, Father, as you're so faithful to do uh, through your word tonight, Lord. Um, we look forward to hearing from you, Lord, and learning. Lord, you have given us examples in your word, many examples, many, many, many examples of good examples of bad examples, things that we should try to uh, copy and things that we should be warned about that we don't find ourselves doing the same thing because we see the result of that. And I pray we'd be those that learn from the things that you have. The, You know, Lord, you're, you're so wonderful and you love us. And just like uh, when we drive down the street and there's uh, construction on the, on the road, uh, they put up a sign about a mile out, hey, construction ahead, and then they'll have a little flashing sign uh, flagman ahead and slow down and cones and all these things that just warning signs to keep us a attention that you know there's a direction we need to go or we need to stop and uh, Lord you do the same thing in our lives you put up warning signs and flags and flashers and you have people hold up stop signs don't continue to do that or go that way or think this way or any number of things Lord because you love us and, and, and you don't want to see us well, really get into deep and fall off into the wrong direction and, and, you know, suffer the repercussions of those things, Lord. And so I pray that we would learn as we go through the book of Judges all that you want to say to us, Lord, because there's so many examples of that in this book. And I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Father, as you're so faithful to do, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Judges. Now, it's one of those books that, you know, it's um, it, it's it's really, you know, two ends of the spectrum. It, it's very depressing, I could say, in one sense, um, uh, because you just see the failure of people. And, and uh, but on the other hand, you see the the merciful and the gracious and the goodness of God, even through you know, people completely turning their backs on the Lord. And so it's one of those books that it's just, um, man, how could they? And then you kind of look at yourself and how could I? And uh, we'll learn so much about that cycle. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But the, the book of Judges takes its title from uh, rulers, which we'll talk about, which these judges, there was... Um, 12 men and one woman listed who served as judges during the period from Joshua's death until the time of Samuel. And, uh, well, here's a, here's a, a quick chart of that. If you just kind of want to look at it at a quick overview, you can see um, uh, the name of the judge on the left and where he's from or she's from, uh, what they did. Some things are mentioned, some aren't. That's why the question marks are there. It doesn't really tell us. Uh, the years of oppression and the years of rest because of God's grace. And it gives you some idea and some sense of kind of where we're headed and where we're going on those things. Now, we know the book was written uh, during the period when there was uh, a king in Israel. 
So most people believe that, uh, you know, because uh, there's some phrases that we'll see kind of over and over. It says, uh, you know, in those days there was no king in Israel. And so we'll see that phrase kind of t- going uh, over and over telling us it's before the time of the kings. Most people believe that Samuel had written this. Now, Samuel really was the last kind of judge, the first kind of prophet. And then after him, uh, they'll have a king or a monarchy. And, and that will, you know, go all the way through until, uh, well, the fall in Babylon. We'll talk about that later on. And so uh, this, the, the book of Joshua that we just studied was over about a period of, oh, a little more than 30 years. This book covers a span of about 350 years. So just give you some idea about uh, the historical uh, uh, span. So really from the death of Joshua to Samuel becoming, and we'll, the next books you'll see is 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So until Samuel comes on the scene, that's that period of time that we call the judges. Now, when we say judges, don't think of this, because instantly when you say judges, you think of, here come to judge. Remember, Flip Wilson, you older people? <laughs> um, you know, judges, that's not what the word means. It's, it has nothing to do with the guy sitting behind the bench saying, you're guilty. You ever watch why Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland, the judge guy? You're guilty. Anyway, um, so uh, it's not have anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, the word probably and and most accurately could be translated. Well, not most accurately, but 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 I think a good translation for that word in our way of thinking would be hero. The Twelve or thirteen heroes. You'd call this the book of heroes or you know, probably more literally, it's like a savior, but it, it doesn't translate exactly like a savior, savior, like we're thinking of Jesus. But in the same way, a one that comes to save the day kind of a deal or a hero. Um, these would be, uh, maybe we should use that as a title screen. Uh, what's the superheroes are out there today? The Captain America team, what are those guys called on? Uh, isn't there like a whole group of them? What are they called? When you what do they call? Yeah, like the Justice League kind of a deal or whatever Marvel. Thomas, I'm looking to you and you're not helping me out, man. <laughs> you know, like the Justice League kind of a thing or whatever Marvel has. With the, what do they all call when they all come together? Tony would know. Huh? Avengers. Avengers. Thank you, duh. I knew you didn't remember. Like the Avengers, right? They're, they're coming there to, to save the day. And, and if you would, think of them like that. That's more... What might be a more accurate way of looking at it. They, they deliver, they're deliverers, they're, they're coming to the rescue. God, uh, and so, you know, the kind of tr- the word, um, you know, for the book, Judges, doesn't really do it maybe justice in our minds, how, they, how the book was titled. And um, that's not in the original language, by the way, added later on. So it's not like God said, that's the title of it, and that's what I want. So don't, don't think of it that way. But... So, again, think of them as heroes that come to the rescue. And the other thing we'll see in this book is very interesting is that these guys and gals, I, I say guys, but there was a, a gal in there that will be in there as well, um, were just ordinary people that God used. Um, you know, they, they were people just like us. We'll, we'll see some of them are just, you know, going about their business, doing their thing, and God says, listen, I'm going to use you, and I want to use you. And, you know, the Spirit of God would come upon these leaders uh, to do a particular work at a particular time. And, uh, you know, th- and they weren't perfect people. We'll see it. Some of them have a lot of baggage with them. <laughs> and, and God 
is going to use him in a great way. So, you know, we can be encouraged by that as well. Uh, you know, he, he just uses ordinary people. And, of course, that's just, you know, throughout Scripture. They're people just like us. When you read about these people in here, you know, they're just like you and I. No different. You know, the same kind of problems and baggage and deals and mistakes and, and, and you know, ways of thinking and problems and, you know, heartache and stress and all those things that we feel. They're just like us. God uses them. There are people that say, okay, Lord, use me. And the Lord says, yes. And he, Spirit will come upon them, and they'll, and they'll do marvelous work. So you can call them heroes, maybe, or deliverers, if that's something that's a little bit easier to see. And then we'll, we'll, we'll look at them. Some of them are covered in a lot more detail. We'll get chapter and chapter and chapter. Others will just be mentioned. And they don't give us much information. The Lord doesn't choose to give us all the details. But the other thing that we'll see in this book, as I kind of mentioned in, in, in the beginning here, is this cycle. And I kind of grabbed this off, and I, I think it was a good picture of it. And you can see this circle. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll do evil. They'll turn away from God, uh, followed by their own ways. They'll just go off and just do their own thing. And I don't really care about the Lord. This looks a lot more fun. I'm just going to go run after that. Then they're going to be defeated by an enemy. They're going to be enslaved by that enemy. They'll find themselves serving these other gods. And then when it gets, you notice that the circle is accurate and they hit the bottom, right? And then when they hit the bottom, they're going to cry out to God. And then they're going to turn to God. And then they're going to repent and turn for their sins. And then God's going to raise up a judge or a hero or a deliverer. And he'll deliver his people. And then there'll be a time of rest and they'll repeat the cycle. And they'll repeat the cycle. And, uh, you know, whatever, six, eight times throughout the book, uh, we'll, see that, we'll see that cycle pictured out. It's pretty sad, but that's what's going to happen. And again, the book will repeatedly tell us, in those days there was no king. And as a matter of fact, towards the end, it'll say, every man did what was right in his own eyes. So, in other words, there was no specific leader. Joshua was kind of the last guy that was, you know, leading the nation. And he had a specific purpose to go in and take over the land and conquer the, 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 the armies of the enemy, the big armies. There's still people in the land. We'll talk about that again. But, you know, the, that was done. And he's, he's gone. He's left the scene now. He's gone home to heaven. And, and, and the Lord was supposed to be the one, you know, that they were to go to and look to. And of course they had the priests and the Levites spread throughout the country to give them spiritual encouragement and advice. And they were to go down to where the ark was, the, the tabernacle was set up in whatever town it was in, in Gibeon. And then when it was in Shiloh, they set it up in Shiloh, we know, and go over there and meet. So, you know, but they were to follow the Lord. He was their king. And that's what the Lord wanted. He, you know, and wanted to do. But the people just started doing their own thing. And we'll see how that continues. It's much like our country, I believe, today. You know, the, the feeling is, if it feels right, that means it's right. If it feels right to me, that means that's right, that's the truth. And these people live that out. And we'll see how, how that worked out for them. Not very well. And, and again, um, you know, he, he, he wants to show us that his ways are always the best and we're always the blessed and when we choose to ignore that and do our own thing 
is the heartache and pain that it, it brings us, and he wants to spare us from that. Whether it's a group of people, as we're going to read here, or individually, the, the same thing holds true. And so that's our little introduction to the book of Judges. And so let's look at verse 1. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be the first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? Remember, we left off with Joshua encouraging him. There's much to be done. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. The Lord wants to give you the whole land. You need to continue to do that. And so they're doing that. Now, remember here, um, our slide that we've been looking at, that darker color is the areas that they've kind of conquered with the, the major armies. They're no longer there anymore, but the Lord wanted them to finish clearing out all those lands and all the land that we see there kind of in that lighter yellowish color um, that's up there. And so just to give us an idea, and so there was still work to do. They defeated those, and they needed to finish the, the work, and they do the right thing, right? They go to the Lord. Lord, how do you want to handle this? We know you want us to move on and to, to you know, conquer the land and, and move forward, and uh, what do you want us to do? And they go to the Lord, which is, of course, a perfect start, right? The first thing, okay, Lord, how do you want to do this? What do you want to do? And so, verse 2, the Lord, oh, by the way, and this is the, before we get to that, so this is the land that he had planned for them and already allotted. So this is what they had. This is what he wanted to, uh, to give them and there to clear out. So as we read through these nations, remember, they're supposed to take all this. We'll talk about Judah first and Simeon, and then we'll kind of move up here and all those cities that are in there. And so that's what he wanted to give them and more. And so that's kind of what it looks like. So they go to the Lord, and verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Judah, uh, and the Lord said, I'm sorry, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So the Lord answers and tells Judah that Judah should go first. And the other thing he reminds them, notice, is that he said, Hey, I've already given you the victory. You, you got this, we'd say today, right? I've already, Judah, you guys go up first. You guys do and start taking your land, and you got this. I've already given it to you. It's yours. You just have to go and get it. So he encourages them right away. You got this. And then, verse 3, so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, remember that was another group of people, the group that came from the, uh, we call them tribes, but they were descendants of that one man, Jacob. Remember, he had 12 sons, and everybody could follow their lineage back to one of these sons. So one of the sons was named Judah. The other was named Simeon. And so he said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. So the first thing that Judah did when they realized, okay, they have to go out first, was to ask for help. Now, you know, help us and we'll help you. That's what we kind of read there. Now, in one sense, it may not be necessarily a bad thing, you know, but I, I fall back on this. You know, the Lord told them that they the group, the tribe, the group of people from this man named Judah, that large group, that they were to go get it, not Simeon. Judah, you go up first, and you start taking your territory. The Lord didn't say, hey, Judah, you go, and, you know, if you want to take some, some other guys with you that, you know, and 
their, their soldiers so that you can have more soldiers. He didn't say that. He said Judah to go up. And I, I feel like this is what we can do often too. The Lord tells us that we need to do something and then we go ask somebody to do it with us or to help us or get their advice. <laughs> okay, Lord, I know you're, you're leaning and, caught, and you're telling me, that, you know, this is what I should do or shouldn't do, whatever it is. The Lord's speaking to us. And rather than just, okay, Lord, I know you're speaking to me and we do it, we maybe ask somebody else to be a part of it or sometimes we'll ask them, you know, I, I, you know, I know I really feel like I shouldn't be doing this, but what do you think? <laughs> Wrong thing. The Lord's already told what we need to do. I'll, I'll tell you, if we start inviting other people in, a lot of times it adds to confusion, and then we'll find ourselves really not doing what the Lord called us to do because, well, all of a sudden we end up depending on that person or looking to that person's advice rather than trusting in what the Lord said to do. That's one of the problems. And we start depending on somebody else's strength or somebody else's advice rather than the instructions and the clear will of the Lord. It's so important for us to trust in the Lord and walk in faith. And he'll see us through and he'll be our strength. That's what he's telling Judah. I'll do it. I, you're, it's yours. Just go out and get it. Okay, great. Uh, hey, guys, why don't you come? <laughs> no, no, no. He's giving it to you. You go out and do it. You, you don't need anybody else's help. You don't need anybody else's opinion about what you think you should do. Or just The Lord's told you. Go out and do it. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 4. Then the Lord, uh, sorry, then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And Adonai Bezek fled and pursued him, and they pursued him, I'm sorry, and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Now, you might sound weird, but let's read the rest of it and it'll kind of come clear. Then Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. So, the Lord gave them victory in these areas around this area of this land of Bezek, and it's down here in, in this area. And you can see some of those, I know it's kind of hard to read some of those names, but it's kind of down there. That's the area of Judah. And you can look down there that, where it says Judah. That's some of the cities down there that they gave them that victory here. And uh, with this king, the famous toes and thumbs, head, shoulders, knees, and how's that song go? Anyway. <laughs> But uh, I, you know what, I, I find this very interesting that this heathen king understood this biblical principle of you reap what you sow. Um, again, he said, you know, I've done this to 70 other kings and now it's happening to me. You, you know, and that's such a true biblical principle, isn't it? It's so true. What we sow will come up, whether it's good or bad. And the king understood that. That's a natural law that can't be escaped. Now, you know, when we start doing things that aren't good and doing these and get into these habits or these routines that we know is just not really from the Lord. And, you, you know, the Lord says that's going to sprout out, sprout up problems. Now, we're thankful as his children that the Lord's merciful and he 
he, he, you know, so gracious, I believe, to dampen a lot of those effects as his kids. But, um, but you know, this king understood that principle. You know, I've been doing this, and look, it's coming back on me. And so um, it's a very biblical principle. Now, that's kind of on the bad side, but there's a good side to that, too. If you plant good things into your life, uh, as, for example, coming to church on Wednesday night, where people think you're a nutcase for coming on a Wednesday. What in the world? Church on Wednesday? I've never heard of such a thing. Sunday, okay, I think it's kind of weird if you go too often, but Sunday, I get it. But Wednesday night, it's just kind of, well, you realize, hey, I want to sow or bring your word and who you are into my life. So a lot of people don't get that. But you get that. I understand that, right? You understand, hey, I want to put that in my... And guess what? That principle holds true. What you put in, what you sow in, will sprout out great and bear good fruit. So the negative is true, but the positive is just as true, right? And so, you know, you're faithful to teach your children, your 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 wives, your husbands, your families the word and get that into them, get it into you. You know, it, it'll bear fruit. Now, we want it to happen quickly. I get that. But, you know, the Bible says we're, we're like farmers. You know, you, you, you sow the seed in. It doesn't bear fruit next week or next month. And if it's a fruit tree, it might be three or four years before you're getting the fruit out of it. But you keep sowing, and in the right time, that will bear fruit. And so that promise is true for us as well as believers. We put the, sow the word of God and follow the word and, and follow the Holy Spirit, man. Good things come. It's just a natural thing that'll happen. It'll sprout out good. And it may not be, you know, next week, like I said, or next month. Sometimes it is, but it will. It will because God's faithful. It's a natural law. It will happen. And so uh, this king understood that, of course, on the negative sense. Well, next we'll read a little bit more. Verse 8, And the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowlands. Then Judah went against the Canaanites, who dwell in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was for, formerly Kirjath Arba. And they, uh, and they killed Shishai, uh, Ahaman and Tel Ma'i. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber, or Deber. The name of Devar was formerly Kirjath Sira. So we see more victories for the tribe of Judah. And, um, you know, the Lord was giving them great victory as they were continuing to move and take the land as the Lord had told them to. And now we see a little repeat of what we read in the book of Joshua in verse 12. Then Caleb uh, said, Whoever attacks Kirjath uh, Sarah and take it, I will give uh, to him I will give my daughter uh, Asha as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave his daughter Asha as wife. Now, again, Caleb, remember, is one of the, I think it's repeated because he's one of the two men of faith. Him and Joshua are the ones that wanted to go into the promised land of that first generation and said the Lord will give it to us while everybody else was negative on it. And the Lord brought them in faithfully, remember that. And so Caleb here, you know, older man, we know he was 85 when all this happened. And he wanted his son-in-law 
to be the same kind of man uh, as he was. He wanted his daughter to marry um, a, a man just like him, a man of faith who was willing to take on these things and of great you know, bravery and strength and faith and trust in the Lord. And, um, you know, I can do anything the Lord calls me to do was Caleb's kind of thought. And he said, you know, I want that for my daughter. And Othniel was, and he was related to Caleb, as we can see, and they were cousins. But, um, you, you know, what a great thing to, to want for your children, people of great faith to marry them. Verse 14, now it happened when she came and she urged uh, him to ask her father for a field. So her husband said, hey, you know what, we want, we need, we want more. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And so she said to him, Give me a blessing, since, I have give, uh, since you have given me the land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And so uh, the father, Caleb, gives more than they ask. And what a great picture of our father, of our heavenly father. And, and these were very valuable. I mean, springs of water in Israel, it's a pretty arid place in, in a lot of areas, especially in the, low, in the south part, and to have springs of water without having to dig a well was a great blessing, and of course, not only does he give her the upper springs, he also gives her the lower springs as well, and, and again, a great picture of our Father who always gives us more than we ask. And now verse 16, now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms, which was the city of... Jericho, remember that? With the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near uh, Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. So I, this is a little bit of a note here, which I think, you know, is kind of stuck in there, but it's a great thing to remember here, the impact that Moses had on his in-laws. They came with God's people into the promised land. I think it's just a great picture. It's a little, one little sentence kind of tucked in here. But, you know, it told us that the effect Moses had when Moses left, remember he spent, what is it, about 40 years with, with his in-laws living there, taking care of the sheep and being around. And when the Lord called him to, from the burning bush, remember, to go take uh, his people out of Israel to the promised land that he left. And he said to his father-in-law, hey, I'm going to go. And then, you know, as they came out, uh, and they were heading past his old stomping grounds, his, his in-laws come out, and they joined him. Uh, you know, a, a percentage of them, it doesn't tell us how many, but there's a significant number of them that, that joined and became part of God's people. I think that's a great thing for us to always continue to do, you know, um, bring as many in our family, you know, to the Lord as we can. And uh, by our testimony and by our our actions, you know, it, we can be great witnesses to them and have a great influence on them as Moses did. Well, verse 17, And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited uh, Zeph, uh, Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza and his territory, Ashkelon and his territory, Ekron and his territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. Why? Because they had iron 
had chariots of iron. Now, here's something that we see pretty, you know, uh, starting some of the failures here and some of the cracks, if you would, in the armor. They are coming up against something unusually difficult. Chariots of iron. That would be the latest battlements of the day. Uh, you, you know, that would be the high-tech weaponry of today. I don't know. Pick something that you, in your own mind of what's some high-tech weapon that you can think of today that's at the cutting edge or something. Uh, that's what iron chariots were. So now they're coming up against something very, very difficult. Yes, that's true. But remember, the Lord never said it was all going to be easy. They, he just said, you're going to have victory. You just go out and do it, and you're going to have victory. But it doesn't mean that every victory is going to come just really easily. And now they're coming up against something that seems to be really hard, or maybe they just chose not to come up against it. It doesn't really tell us. But, you know, they could not drive it out. Was it because, hey, man, we just we can't do that? Or because they tried a little bit, and, man, we can't do that. It doesn't really tell us. But nonetheless, either way, they, they just didn't, you know, all of a sudden their faith just went to a certain point. Well, yeah, we can do that over here, we can do that over here. But over here, oh Lord, I don't know. This is iron chariots we're talking about here. But the Lord says, hey, you're going to have the victory. I'm going to give it to you. And maybe they could think back just 40 70, 80, whatever years it was. Uh, how many chariots did the Egyptians have? When they were chasing down them as they were leaving the country, ready to kill them all? How many chariots did the Lord wipe out in the Red Sea? It doesn't tell us, but it was what it seems like what the whole Egyptian army had. And maybe it does tell us there was 300 or 600 chariots. I don't remember what it was. 300 maybe is what the number that pops into my mind that, uh, that Pharaoh called his best charioteers out there. Maybe they just kind of forgot about that. I, I, I don't know. But the Egyptian army was immeasurably much more stronger than these Canaanites in this little area, trust me. But again, this is staring them down in the face now. Now, don't get me wrong. This would be a big thing. I'm not trying to make light of it that they should have just, oh, that's, we should just do it, right? I mean, this was difficult. This was, um, you know, a, a tough thing. But at the end of the day, who's stronger? Iron, iron chariots or, or the Lord? Maybe the problem was this. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, it got to the point where they were relying on their own strength and not the Lord's strength. You know, we, we can do that. We sh Sometimes we get surprised by that. We think, oh, yeah, Lord, I'll pray for this, that you give me a safe trip, or, you know, this happens and take care of this. But, you know, all of a sudden some huge medical thing comes down, and, oh, that's just too much. Or, yeah, Lord, I, I, I trust you for these things, but this is a big, huge problem. I need to get lawyers involved, or I need to get bigger doctors involved at Stanford, or I need to get, you know these big guns out here because, Lord, you know, this is a huge thing. I don't mind coming to you for most stuff, but there's some things. I, I don't know. Maybe that was some of the attitude that they were, you know, thinking about. This is just too much. And, you know, the Lord wanted them to, listen, yeah, you can't do it. 
A lot of times the Lord puts, I think, big obstacles in our way or allows things to come our way that are way beyond us and says, now how are you going to deal with it? Lord, I can't. It's up to you. And, and you know, you, you walk in faith. You, you know, when you, you can't do it on our own, it comes down to, are we going to trust the Lord or are we going to just try to find a way out of it or around it or away from it or, you know, do this on our own strength and ability? We ourselves are going to face and do face difficult battles in our lives. It's not going to be easy all the time. There's stuff in our lives that's been there for years that is just hard and tough. And it's there and it's gnawing and it's, you know, wants to poke its head up all the time. And, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to trust the Lord? Are we going to walk in faith and realize, Lord, this is too much for me. I desperately need you. You know, or are we just going to back away and just learn to live with it? Well, that's what these guys will do. They couldn't do it, so oh, that's okay. You know what? Uh, they had that too. Oh, that's okay. It's not going. They're not going to hurt anybody. You know, we got most of it, but you know, these things are here still, and and somehow in their own mind, I don't know. It doesn't really tell us that they just justify it. You know, oh, let them stay. Let them do their own thing. You know, we got we got most of it. They really can't do anything, and so. Let's just hold it on there. That's far enough. We can't really go much further, and it's just going to be too much effort, work. I don't have the ability to, to stop doing that or whatever. Well, interesting enough, comparing that to verse 20, and they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, then he expelled from there three sons of Anak. So little Caleb, as far as the big group of people from Judah, little Caleb, you know, was supposed to get this, this area of Hebron and that, those upper Kirjath Jerem, the, uh, that whole, those little cities right there. And you notice his little group of people or him by himself or him with, you know, his sons, it doesn't tell us what. They took the th and expelled the three sons of Anak. Do, do you know who else was a son of Anak? Goliath. So the three biggest dudes in that area, maybe nine feet tall, huge warriors, he took them on and got rid of them. You know, you kind of contrast a guy walking with faith, Caleb still, to Judah as a group overall saying, well, we, you know, we can battle this and take care of that, but man, that's just too much. And then you compare that to Caleb, who took on three Goliath-sized guys and their armies and whoever their whoever was with them, you can imagine a bunch of other big guys, no problem, because Caleb was walking in faith. Well, unfortunately, that's going to continue, and that's some of our problems we'll see as we looked at our cycle. Verse 21, but the children of Benjamin, now this is another group, right, did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So another problem here. Again, they have this attitude, well, let's just call it a day. Let's not press on. Let's not press forward, which is a real issue for all of us. Uh, again, it's a warning to all of us that we always need to be pressing forward and growing. We just haven't arrived. I don't know enough. I've been around enough, and I know enough, and that's good enough. We need to be pressing forward because, uh, again, a warning from the Lord was, you know, not to allow that to happen because it's going to cause you trouble. And now this group is, oh, it's just too hard to get rid of these guys. So let's just live with it. 
And then verse 22, the house of Joseph also went up to Bethel and the, as, and the Lord was with them. And so the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel and the name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. A little bit like Rahab, maybe. And so he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called it Luz, which is its name to this day. So now the house of Joseph, which is another uh, couple of family groups there, uh, going to attack this bigger city here. Um, and they see this guy and they say, hey, listen, we want to know how to get into the city. He was probably locked up tight because they were out there and he shows them. And then I find this kind of interesting. You see, this guy hears about all that the Lord is doing. Um, he sees all that the Lord does through the people there. And yet this guy did not want to be around them. I mean, contrast this guy with Rahab. Remember, Rahab wanted to be part of the, of the nation. She knew God, Lord was God. And we know she even winds up in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. This guy sees very similar, if not more things than she did, and sees the power of the Lord, sees the Lord working, see what's going on. And this guy, well, you know, is like people that we run into in our lives, you know, that who've seen what the Lord's done in your life and the new creation that you've become and the love and the joy and the peace that you have in the Lord and they know it's the Lord, and yet, sadly, they still reject him. Kind of like this guy. You know, I'm just going to move way, way, way. I'm going to move, you know, nations away, way out of this area, and just continue to do my own thing. It's like, you know, they had this great testimony, and they just reject it and want to move away from it. It's pretty sad, but nothing new under the sun, huh? Just like today. Well, verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages or uh, Tanach and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages and the inhabitants of uh, Ilblin and its villages and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And if you're an underliner in your Bible, I think that's a great verse to underline. They were determined to live in that land. The enemies, the distractions, the ones that wanted to tear them down in a very slow and very insidious, which means a very, you know, uh, with evil intent and, and a malice intent and a slow, evilly pulling away of it, if you would. Um, they just didn't, they, they wanted to stay there. They don't give up easy, do they? The old habits, the old ways, they are determined to stay in our lives as well, aren't they? And um, it's just like the Canaanites. They, they just didn't want to leave. And the Lord said, listen, you need to remember, we, you guys have been with us. You know, we've been going through this way back in Exodus, God told them. I think Exodus chapter 23, God told them, hey, listen, you need to clear that stuff out or it's going to bring you down. And if you don't, man, I'm telling you, it's only a matter of time before you're just going to wind up doing the same things they do. And that's I'm going to have to punish that in the same way. I, 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 I'm going to do it. And so we warned them repeatedly. And these guys didn't want to give up easy. The old habits are determined to stay there. 
And, and, and these guys just at some point just said, they're just, it's just too much. It's not worth me passing this anymore. And it's just not a good place for us to get, nor for them, as we'll see as we go through this book. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but they did not completely drive them out. So they were determined to stay there. And at some point, they had the ability to drive them out, but they chose not to. Hey, it's okay, I'll keep this, and hey, it might be okay, and I don't want to, you know... You know, cut ties with that all the way. I don't want to, you know, you know, I want to kind of keep it there, my hand a little bit on it just in case. Or, hey, I can make some money out of this. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, we can, you know, instead of getting rid of them all, we could use them, you know, and do something with it and make some money and get some advancement. I, I don't know what they were thinking. Yes, it may not be what the Lord wants us to do, but man, it's hard to pass up this deal. People do that today as well at times, right? You know, one of the things that can happen is, you know, oh, yeah, I have to work three jobs and overtime, and, you know, you spend all this money or energy and time making money and getting stuff that the Lord never intended. Spend all that time and effort in doing that. You know, I was up in um, Sunnyvale and Cupertino today, and just, you know, I went by Apple, uh, you know, for work. I was... Apple, I was by Cisco, I was by a couple of, you know, these big offices, I had to go into a couple of them, um, and, uh, you know, I just can't tell you, uh, you know, you walk by the glass doors, and they have like this whole, think of a restaurant, like a big restaurant, and they have, but all different foods, you can just go in there and get whatever you want, and then you go down the hall next way, and it's like a 7-Eleven, I'm not kidding, it's like... A, an exact 7-Eleven with every food snack that you see in 7-Eleven, the drinks along the side, you get whatever you want, the fountain drinks over here. I mean, it's just snacks. Every, just think of a full 7-Eleven or the AMPM down the street or whatever. And, and, you know, that's every floor. And you just, whatever, as an employee, you get this, and you want to go to the massage room, and it's over there. And if you, you need a dentist appointment, well, he's in that room over there. And you know, just they want to keep you there and working and working and working and it becomes your life. And then they build apartments right across the street from these offices I was looking at. So you can be walked to work. So, you can, you know, it's just it's all about getting more and having more. And, and are people, you know, like, hey, I really need a job. But, you know, you know, it requires me to work on Sunday and really I can't get to church. But I need that, you know, and it comes down to Listen, I, you know, I, I truly believe that the enemy is involved in that stuff. He wants to get you out of fellowship. The greatest job, well, it causes you to miss church. It is the wrong job. I can just tell you that already, you know, because it's just going to move you more and more. Or you got to work a lot of overtime or, you know, that's just one thing. But, you know, we start to make, oh, but sports, the kids are into sports. And, you know, they meet on these travel teams on the weekends and, you know, there's families we don't see for four or five, six months because they're traveling around for what? Playing soccer, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it is. You know, it's just, oh, yeah, you know, we'll just, you know, we're just out there doing stuff that gets you distracted. You don't want to put those things away and say, listen, that's a distraction. These things are going to drag me down. These things are going to move me out of the things of the Lord, and I, I need to move them away. 
And some of them don't give up easy, especially the ones that are kind of built into us. And all of us are different. Sometimes we can't see why somebody gets so tripped up over something like this because it's not our deal. But we get tripped up all the time over here, and we can understand that. But what I've come to realize in my age, you know, we're all men want to get into something, whatever it might be. And it's all bad, and it might be similar in some cases, and but maybe completely different in other cases, but it's still the same. It's trying to move us away from the things of the Lord or to, like here, kind of live peacefully with the enemy. You just can't do that. It's going to influence you. And, and they could have had some victory because the Lord wanted to give them victory, but even at that point, they just, now nah, we could use it in some way. The Lord gives us those victories and wants to give us those victories. We better grab onto them, I'm telling you. You know, uh, he wants to. Well, let, let's finish this up and we'll close with this chapter tonight. And let's read about the rest of them, which is pretty much a repeat of what we read here. Nor did Ephraim, verse 29 says, drive out the Canaanites who dwelled in Gezar. Those are the old people. No, I'm just kidding. So the Canaanites dwelled in Gezar among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, uh, Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahol, uh, you got the name there. So the Canaanites dwelt among them, and they were put under tribute. Nor did Asher, which is again another group, Zebulon, Ephraim, the next group, right? Drive out the inhabitants of Acho, or Acho, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or Alab, or oh, you can read those names, Atzib, he, he, uh, Helba, Afkik, and Riba. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, uh, but they dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Hares in Ajalon and Sha'abin. Yet they, when, they, uh, when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Arkabin from Selah and upward. So we see here that this kind of lukewarmness was contagious to the rest. They had troubles. It was hard, so they kind of gave up. And then when they had the ability to do that, to drive them out, they, they just didn't do it. And eventually, they just ignored all of the Lord's warnings about what would happen and what would ensnare them, what would trap them, and, uh, you know, if they continued to, to allow those things in their lives. But I don't know what the deal was. It was too profitable. It seemed too hard. Or they just settled for less. It doesn't tell us. But one thing it does tell us, and we'll see in the coming weeks, is they'll regret it. They'll regret it. Because the Lord doesn't warn us needlessly. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things that we learned tonight, Lord, and Again, this book has its ups and downs for sure. And this is one of the, just the beginnings, Lord, because nothing bad has happened yet. So it doesn't seem to be so bad. And that's one of the problems that they face and that we face today. 
Well, nothing really happened when I did that. And I don't see anything really bad happening doing this or thinking this way or feeling that or whatever it might be in our lives. Nothing seems bad happening, really. It doesn't seem to hurt anybody. And that's exactly what they thought. Oh, we can manage. We can get by. You know, we're, we're strong enough. And, you know, it's not really going to influence us. It's not going to really move us. And that was just completely a lie sold to them by the enemy. Because we'll see it'll have a great effect on them and a greater effect on their children. And it, it would just cause them so many heartaches that the Lord wanted to spare them. He wanted to bless them and cause them to rejoice with his goodness and his love and to separate them as a nation, as a people that might be a light to the pe nations around them that they might come to know you, Lord. And, and Lord, they just kind of blended in with what everybody else is doing, and it caused them so much pain and heartache, Lord. And I know you, you wanted to spare them just as you want to spare us. So, Lord, help us to learn from these things, Lord, to remind us, Father, that, yes, there's going to be some battles out there hard. There's some things entrenched in our lives and in our attitudes that, Lord, that, that seem difficult. But, uh, Lord, do you want to give us a victory? You tell us. Your, your word tells us that we have been given all things in Jesus, that we, we, we give everything good has come. We have comes from it. Ephesians just goes on. Your word tells us, Lord, and help us to, to grab a hold of those things, Lord. And, Father, that we might shine brightly in the darkest of times, Lord, which is... We're going more and more into, Father. So help us, Lord, to be those people, Lord. Bless these things to our hearts, for we ask this in Jesus' name. We all 